turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians, chapter 4. Uh, We're going to read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and then we will pray and dig into uh, God's holy word. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weakness and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. God, we thank you that we have the privilege and opportunity now to to open your word, to to study it, to hear from you. Uh, For God, you are such a glorious God. You are worthy of all honor and praise. And God, when we enter into your presence, we become aware um, sometimes of our, our, our way we fall short, God, how we do not live up to the calling of the gospel. We don't walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So God, we, we confess our sins to you where we have fallen short this past week. God, we pray that you cover us with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you forgive us our sins. God, blessed is the man who the Lord does not count his sin against him. So God, we pray that now for us, that you would consider us blessed and not count our sins against us. Dear God, we thank you for uh, this Christmas season. God, I pray for churches in this area, God, as they have musicals and, and outreach events to people who do not know you. God, we pray that you would work a revival among churches that people who are lost and and in darkness would see the great light. God, we pray against the the familiarity of the season, God. Uh, God, we pray that you would soften hearts uh, through uh, carols, God. When we sing of the joy that we have in Christ, God, you have brought us good news of great joy for all the people. So God, we pray that that great news would, would permeate our conversations with our families and with our friends. God, we pray for uh, Scott Davis at Northside. We pray for their church. We pray you would grow them, Father, that you'd be kind to them this season. God, continue to have your hand on Pastor Scott as he preaches your word. God, we pray um, for this church. God, we pray that our church would be unified around the gospel, 
God, we pray that the, the power of the cross, the word of the cross, God, which is folly to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We pray that word of the cross would, would reign here at Park Baptist Church. God, we pray that you would, would make that word reign in Sunday school, work to make that word reign from this pulpit. God, we pray that you would change your people, change the people here from one degree of glory to the next. Oh, dear God, I pray against this, the busyness of the season. God, so many of us come this morning tired from all the activity. So God, we pray, Lord, for the next 30 minutes that you would open our eyes to your word, that you would move away the things that are occupying our attention, that our attention, that our minds would be fixed on the word of the cross. Dear God, I pray for the word. I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase, that your word will be preached with power um, because it is powerful. So God, let me hide behind the cross. Um, Bless your people through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Henry VIII uh, died on January 28th, 1547. Uh, now, many of you know Henry VIII uh, because he worked hard to find a male heir. Uh, his, his wives kept on getting him daughters, so he would just divorce and find another wife. And eventually, he had a son, Edward VI. Uh, Edward was crowned king on February 20th, 1547, at the age of nine. He was the heir to the throne of England. Now, the will of Henry VIII appointed 16 executors, or folks who would gather in a council to to watch over the kingdom, to watch over Edward until his time was had arrived for him to fully take over the throne. He was promised to be the heir, but he was held under guardians until the time of his 18th birthday. We also, like Edward, have a promise. I appreciate Wayne for singing that wonderful song. We're going to be thinking about that promise, the promise that God has given us. It's the promise that we have an inheritance, that we are going to be heirs together with Christ. And although that day is is coming, We have to wait, as did Edward, until the time our Father has set in place. So if you would take a copy of the bulletin and flip on the back and look at our points this morning, Uh, there's going to be three points this morning. And as my daughter looked at the outline this morning, she she whispers to me, she says, Daddy, the points are short. That means a shorter sermon, right? (laughs) I'm not sure about that, but we shall try. Uh, Read with me again. In Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 3. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, now Paul gives a very common example here. He's saying an heir and a a son and a slave are basically the same until it's time for the son to take over the land, to to gain uh, the inheritance. There is no difference between a slave and and a a son until the father decides so. 
This really is just a connection to the rest of, of the book of Galatians. So we're kind of coming down in the middle of the book. But Galatians was written to a people who had once believed in the gospel of grace, that they are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But heretics had, had, had come back into the church of uh, Galatia and said, well, although you believe in Jesus, you must also do the works of the law. So Paul wrote to the book of Galatians. We even see in, in verse 3.1, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's making an argument throughout this whole book to believe, uh, to continue your Christian walk by the Spirit and not by the works of the law. Jump with me in Galatians chapter 3 up to verse 23. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul's making the argument here is that we are waiting for a time and when our Lord is going to come and free us from the law. Look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 4. He says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. One of the things I want you to notice right off the bat, the way Paul talks of the gospel, when he's sharing the gospel uh, to people who are lost and to the church, he always includes himself in need of God's grace. You notice that right there in verse 3, it says, in the same way, we also. We never outgrow our need for God's grace. Did I tell you the first point of the sermon? I didn't, did I? It's the promise of slavery, the promise of slavery. Normally I do that, I apologize. Uh, so Paul's saying when we, we also, we were, when we were children, but he's, he's not talking about specifically when they're young, but before we knew Christ, when we were young in Christ, before we really fully understood the gospel, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So Paul is using the language of slavery. They are, they're in slavery. They are bound. But what are they bound to? He, makes, he says the statement, elementary principles of the world. Now, there's debate on what that means. Some scholars think that it, it was referring to earth, wind, and, and, and fire, the things that were essential in the earth's material. Most scholars believe, as I do, that he's referring to spiritual forces, demonic forces. Before this world was created, there was a war in heaven. Satan... Um, one of the, the most beautiful angels took a third of the angels with him and had a rebellion against God. And God cast them out of heaven uh, with no chance of redemption. And those angels became demons. And those demons are, supposed to, are caused to wreak havoc upon God's people. So it says right here that we were enslaved to the elementary principles, to the spiritual forces of darkness in this world. Now, in Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. We celebrate hope and joy. Isn't that, isn't that just the flavor of the things of the season? We often talk about joy. We talk about hope. We talk about believing. Uh, but Paul here 
And what I want you to see this morning is that there's a reason that Christ came. He came because we were in slavery. As much as the Christ coming brings hope and joy, it also reveals to us that we are in slavery without Christ. That without Jesus, there is no hope for us. The incarnation gives the promise of hope, but it also reveals the promise of slavery. It's what we, what we read in Romans chapter 6 for the scripture reading. It says that we are slaves to whom we obey. We are either a slave of sin leading to death or a slave uh, to righteousness leading to sanctification and hope and peace. Those of you who are here today, if you are living for sin, if you are living for yourself, you are living to please the flesh, the Bible says the end of that slavery to sin is death. That is the promise of those who don't have Christ. Hold your place here and just turn back in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, probably the most well-known Bible verse in all of Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 16. Have you heard that one before? Thank you, Dan, for listening. Right, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He goes on, For God did not send his, wor- his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Isn't that a beautiful promise? God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. He sent Jesus this season in Christmas to bring forth hope and joy to save us. But it goes on in verse 18. It says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What John is saying is that this world is already condemned. We are already slaves. There's no hope for us to get out of it. Now, it's hard for us sometimes to think in that language, that we're slaves to sin. You know, we, we are by nature self-justifiers. We want to justify ourselves and our sin and say, well, maybe I'm not that bad. We tend to minimize it in our own conscience. But can you imagine if you were a criminal, right, and you were brought before the judge, and they, they laid out all the evidence, right? Evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt that this, this criminal convicted of a crime, he stands before the judge, and the judge says, you're guilty. You are sentenced to life in prison. Uh, now, that man at that moment, he, he understands a sense of slavery. But until he walks in that cell and the gate shut. The the gate shuts behind him, and he sees there is no hope now. He is locked in that prison. He he can't get out on his own. Someone has to come in from the outside to open the door to give him his freedom. that, That is what God is saying to us, is that we are locked as slaves to the forces of darkness in this world. We are bound in about uh, 25 or 30 years ago, um, the Brazilian government uh, had a prison in São José de Campos. Uh, it was a prison that was so bad, they, they only sent the worst criminals there. 
Well, they decided to turn the prison over to two Christians to run this, this prison. Uh, so they, they changed the name uh, to Humeti. Um, and Chuck Colson, uh, who started Prisoner uh, Fellowship, visited this prison one day. And this is what he says. He says, when I visited this prison, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gates and let me in. Wherever I walk, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people working industriously. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings from Psalms and Proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell, once used for torture. Today, he told me, that block houses only a single inmate. As we reached the end of the long concrete corridor, he put the key in the lock, he paused and he asked, are you sure you want to go in? Colson looked at him and said, of course I want to go in. I have visited um, solitary cells all over the world. Slowly this murderer swung open the massive door and Colson says, I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell, a crucifix beautifully carved by the inmates, the prisoner, Jesus Christ, hanging on a cross. The guide looked at Colson and whispered softly, he's doing time for the rest of us. See, Jesus came to pay our penalty. He came to take the punishment we so richly deserves. See, believer, our lives should always live in the shadow of the cross. Those inmates lived reminding day in and day out that they have freedom from their slavery because one came to open up their prison cell. Well, the second thing we see here, not only the promise of slavery, but the the reason why we really celebrate this Christmas, the promise of sonship, the promise of sonship. Look with me in verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the time was right, right? We have the same kind of wording. He connects it back to verses 1 and 2, you know, to the time set forth by his father. When the time of right, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Oh, praise the Lord. He sends him forth in two ways. It says he was born of a woman. He was the offspring or the seed of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15, if you, if you think about your Bible and how it's set up, the first uh, three chapters talk uh, of how God created the world and how man fell into sin. The rest of the Bible talks about how God came to redeem us from that sin. So even in Genesis chapter 3, we see this this prophecy of this coming Messiah. God says to the serpent, I will put an enmity or war between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Our God, the, the offspring that was spoken about so long ago was the seed Jesus Christ. We even see that in this book of Galatians. If you look back with me in verse chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 15. 
To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. Our Savior had to be born of a woman because he had to be made like us. The Bible says that he he was made like us in every respect. But the difference is, is that did Jesus fail where, where we failed? No, he perfectly succeeded. So the second thing, not only is he born of a woman, he's also born under the law. Now, we were born under the law, and we have to, to live and pay the penalty under the law. We did not obey. Therefore, we get punishment and judgment. Jesus perfectly lived under the law. When he was tempted, he obeyed God. He perfectly obeyed the Father. Where, he, where we failed, he succeeded. And because of that, we see the purpose of why he came. Look at verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. So we might receive adoption as sons. Now the, the word for redeem is to buy back. It, it, was, it was a term used in the slave market. Someone would go in and they would, they would buy back someone's freedom from slavery. It's a fitting picture here, isn't it? We are slaves. We are bound to our sin. No hope of rescue. And someone enters into our universe and redeems us, buys us back. But how does the Lord redeem us? He redeems us with his own blood. Our God in heaven came from heaven, became a man, walked a, and lived a sinless life and became sin for you and me that we might become righteous. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3.18 that the righteous came for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. Now, one of the things I want you to do even tonight um, or the rest of these days when you're listening to these Christian hymns, these Christmas carols that we sing so often are so used to singing, just, just pause for a moment after you sing a verse and read the lyrics. Just read those lyrics because they are full, they are rich with this promise that God has come to make us sons. It says right there, we might receive adoption as sons. So we move from slave to son. Now even in this, uh, we haven't fully embraced and fully seen this adoption take place yet. Uh, you know, even now in this world, we, we live in sin, don't we? Right? We want to do right, but we are, we are sometimes struggling with our flesh, uh, living uh, for the cares and, and things of this world. But beloved, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when we will fully embrace all the promises that God has made for us in Christ. The promise of our inheritance. So until then, we want to live in the Spirit, which is our third and final point. The promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. In verse 6 it says, And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Uh, One of the things that I think uh, we as a church, not our church, just Park Baptist, but the church in America, need to be reminded of again and again and again, is that we are called to live in 
the Spirit of God. God is active in our full salvation. We are declared not guilty, but we are living each day to try to live a holy and God-honoring life. We want to live in the Spirit. And the thing that Jesus comes, He comes, and what Christmas should always remind remind us of, it's not just that we are saved and redeemed through, through the babe of Bethlehem, but that we are called now to live for Him. We are called as a people to live for Him for all eternity. We need to be reminded how important a holy life is to this world. Now, there's much... Let me, let me just go on here. It says, uh, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. We're crying, Abba, Father. Now, you've probably heard many pastors say it's the idea of this, this intimate relationship, this, this daddy, daddy, father. But the thing that's so beautiful here is that we're no longer a slave. We now approach God as our father. It's, it's a call of intimacy. Uh, one of the things that I have seen so beautifully here uh, in my time as your pastor, is how much you love your parents. Even those of you, who parents I've never met, uh, who are much my senior, there is a sweetness and a respect you have for your, for your parents. So when I hear you talking, you talk about what you, what you, were, what you were taught by your parents. And you want to live a life that honors them. Right? You want to live a life that gives them, the, them glory for how you were raised. And the reason why you want to live a life that, that, that pleases them is because you love them and they love you. And because of your relationship, your life is different. It's the same thing with us and the Lord. We have a God that we say, Abba, Father. And it's the closeness in our relationship with God that will keep us walking in the Spirit, living and trusting in, in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. So let me make a, a, an application. There is uh, some big controversies are always going on in our day. Uh, the recent one is, uh, is what happened with uh, Phil Robertson from the Duck Dynasty. Uh, as many of you probably have followed along, everyone and their, uh, their brother and sister have an opinion of, of what's going on uh, here. But one thing I, I want to just be careful of, regardless of what we, what we feel in terms of how he, how he said, what he said, let me just tell you this. We have to be careful how we respond in those matters, right? That we are responding with, with, with gracious speech, that our life reflects the gospel we proclaim. In, in situations like this, people tend to get loud, right? And we tend to, to, to deride or, or, or rant against our people who are, have opposing views. But if people think differently than what the Bible teaches, uh, you're not going to win them to Christ. You are not going to win them to Christ by telling them to change their behavior, by changing their opinions. That is the law. We do not save people through the law. We save people through the cross of Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. This is why this... This book is so important. It says, it says, But now, when you have come to know God, rather be known by God, how can you turn back 
to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. When people disagree with us and we tell them to change their behavior or change their opinion without telling them to change their worship, we are going back to the law. We can't go back to the law. Jesus Christ came to set us free from the law. And we do that by proclaiming that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So we tell people to love Jesus. This is what God did. God sent his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did it because he loves you. So dear believer, when you are engaged in these conversations with your families that you may be this Christmas, tell them about Jesus. Tell them to rejoice in Jesus. Look at the end of our text this morning, verse 7. It says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One day we are going to rule and reign in this earth. God is going to remake it, reshape it, and we are going to live and reign and rule. And all those who oppose Jesus Christ are going to perish. So how do we win those people who are perishing right now? We win them with the message of the cross, that if you would turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you would be saved. That's the promise of Christmas. The promise of Christmas is that we have a God who loves us so much, He gives us an opportunity to receive His inheritance, an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and unblemished, purchased for us through the death and resurrection of our risen Savior. So this Christmas, let us rejoice that God sent forth His Son to redeem us from our slavery. Let's pray. Father, uh, we pray that we would be a kind of people who live by the Spirit. You have promised that you would give us your Spirit uh, to live for you. So God, we cry out to you now that you would make this reality of our adoption even more real, that you would deepen our relationship with you, that our love for you would change our behavior, and our love for our friends would give us boldness to, to proclaim to them the message of the cross. We thank you, God, for the promises you made to us. God, and we rejoice and we wait in expectation until you uh, fully um, reveal them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.